of the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. The book of Ephesians, chapter 4. I'll read one verse as our text, that being verse number 30. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. A Wednesday night week ago, I spoke in our prayer service here, our midweek service, on the matter of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. We had several things to say, and in that many of you are unable to be with us on Wednesday night, I'm not going to repeat that message, but I will give you just briefly the major thoughts, uh, the headings uh, that we dealt with before we come to the message today. Let's pray before we read the scripture. Heavenly Father, we do love you today. Thank you for loving us as unlovable as we are. Thank you, Father, for your patience with us in the times of stubbornness, in the times of hardness of heart and mind. We do love you and thank you for being so patient with us. Were it not for your loving kindness and your patience and mercy, we had, Lord, been off the scene a long time ago. Now we thank thee for the blessed Holy Spirit. We pray that our minds and hearts shall be made so conscious of him today and of his ministry and of our responsibility in relation to him. We realize that without the power and the moving of the Holy Spirit, all that we could say, all that we could do, all of the talent that we could combine would be meaningless and would profit nothing. So I pray that you will empower us now, both preacher and listener. May we be filled with thy spirit and may application of thy word be made in each of our lives. And We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, these familiar words are found to say, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. The literal rendering of what Paul writes here is found in the present tense, and we miss that in our English translation of this verse. For actually, Paul is saying to the Ephesians, and stop grieving the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed under the day of redemption. The idea being simply this. He recognized that by certain acts and responses in the life of the church of Ephesus, that the Spirit of God had been grieved. And therefore, he writes to them saying, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. I believe if I had any message that would be more timely than any other message for God's people today, it would be exactly that message. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit. I think if there is any more timely message for our church than those words, I cannot think of it. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, the word grief implies that we cause him sorrow that we cause him pain, that we bring sadness to him by our lives, by both the positive and negative things that are present in our lives. Now the Bible has a great deal to say about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples and to us that when he went away, 
he would send another comforter to them, even the Holy Spirit. He declared in John 14 that he would not leave us comfortless. Indeed, the promise of God concerning his spirit is, uh, is indeed reliable. For on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and took up his special ministry and operation in the local church, in the church of this day and age. The Lord Jesus said, it is expedient for me that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come. In other words, God the Father gave us his Son. God the Son gave us his Spirit. God the Son was here in a corporal body. He could not be everywhere at once. But when Jesus Christ the Son sent the Holy Spirit, we recognize that as he is God, he is as God omnipresent. He can be present everywhere at the same time. He is God who is omnipresent. He is all-powerful. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows the mind of God, Paul says, and he reveals the things of God unto us. So then, the promise of the Spirit is a valid promise, as is any promise that God's given in his word. So 50 days after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, on the very appointed day, the Holy Spirit came and took up his special ministry in and through the church, that is, through the body of Christ, the body of born-again believers. The day of Pentecost will never be repeated. I hear sometimes people praying, Lord, give us another Pentecost. There will never be one not as was on this Pentecost after the resurrection. For the Holy Spirit has already come. I hear some people praying, Lord, send us your spirit. Send down your spirit. You're praying a prayer that's already been answered. The Holy Spirit is here. The comforter, as the song says, has come. Now, when Jesus said in John 14, I will send another comforter unto you, the word comforter does not, is not given to, project, to create the idea and the picture in our mind of someone sitting in a comfortable rocking chair or a lazy boy or a hammock or laying on a water bed or an air bed and saying, Lord, here it is, you do it all. Not at all. The Holy Spirit and the word comforter is the word parakletos, which means a helper alongside of. In other words, God is saying, while you're doing business with me, I have sent the comforter to help you. He didn't say I've come to do it all. He said I've come as your helper. Now, if a man is a carpenter, oftentimes he has a helper. Now, the man is not the carpenter. He is the helper of the carpenter. And I do not mean to illustrate by that that we are greater than the Holy Spirit, but only to illustrate the fact that he is there to help us. A lot of people cry, God help me, when they're sitting still, hunkered down on their haunches, doing nothing. The Lord does not come to, to help the fellow who's doing nothing. God comes to help in his spirit to help the fellow who's doing something. Jesus promised his abiding presence with us. If we'd go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and he said, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. So then the promise of the Spirit is valid. Indeed, he has come. Let me remind you as well of what I did the other Wednesday night, and that is the Holy Spirit is a person. 
as much a person as God the Father, as God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not some non-entity. He is not some impersonal force. He is not some energy like atomic energy or electrical energy. He is a divine personality who has every one of the marks of personality, mind, emotion, and will. Those are the three definite marks of personality. The Holy Spirit has intellect. That is a mind. He has emotion. He can be grieved. He has joy. The Bible talks about the joy of the Holy Ghost. Again, then it speaks of the will, how he distributes to the church, to every man a a gift severally as he will, as he chooses, you see. Are you listening now? Look up this way. Let's do it carefully. So the Holy Spirit's promise has been given. That is God's promise of the Holy Spirit. The personality of the Holy Spirit we must recognize. Never insult the Spirit of God by referring to him as an it. How'd you like to be called an it? You're a human being. Your personality. And I, if I were to say to you on your way out, I'm glad it came today. I hope it'll come back tomorrow, tonight. And I hope it'll come back Wednesday night. Oh, that's an insult to personality. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. Though not in a corporal body, he is as much a person as you are, though you're in a body and he's not. The personality is the soul. The soul, when you go down to the, the funeral home and look into the face of a corpse, you never, are, 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 you never have a tendency to say, boy, doesn't he have a wonderful personality? You don't say that about a dead body. I've seen some Baptists have about as much personality as that. But the whole story is, the reason they don't have any personality there, the person is not there. The person is gone. But though he's as real and as much alive as you are and as I am today, the soul of man is immortal. That is, never dying. At death, physical death, this body just vacates the premises. Uh, I'm like some y'all. I'm getting ready to move. Are y'all? I mean, if you don't, you're going to have to have a lot of repairs made. Uh, I need some new shingles already. uh, Need some new foundation. Mine giving away on me. Y'all notice me when I get up out of this chair, I I start three minutes before I'm supposed to be up. That's about the way it is. But nonetheless, when when this fella moves out of this body, I'm going to be as much alive then as I am now. More so. More so. Free from all the entanglements, temptations, griefs, sorrows, all of the problems of life. Man, alive, what a day that's going to be. Do you think about heaven very much? Do you think about heaven very much? You know, I'm, I'm amazed. I, I don't hear people talk about heaven much. Uh, they've got everything they want down here. I said to a fellow who, uh, not long ago down in another state uh, lived a very palatial home, and I was just kidding him, and I said, man, alive. I said, uh, you don't need heaven. All you need is eternal life. Well, he laughed. He said, well, preach, that's not so really. And I said, I know it. You see, we have a home beyond. And I'm glad that when we get there, this old body of flesh uh, is going to be laid aside. Now, we see the promise of the Spirit, the personality of the Spirit. But then again, you need to recognize the purpose of the Spirit. Jesus said when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father. And of judgment because the prince of this world is judged, that is, Satan. The prince of this world system has already been judged. Now, the primary minister of the Holy Spirit is seen in that passage in the threefold manner. He comes to not only comfort, as we saw, 
And that means to help us. And that's what comfort is. But he also comes, as Jesus says, in John chapter 16 at verse 7, to convict. That is, he comes to reprove. The word is used in our reliable King James translation. He comes to reprove, which simply means to convict. Now, I want you to notice that he convicts of the sin, the sin of sin because they, men believe not on Jesus. Do you understand this, that that's the greatest sin of all that man can be guilty of? The sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. The sin here is not sex. It is not smoking. It is not swearing. It is the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit convinces a man of that. Now, a fellow that has all of these other outward manifestations of sin, they're symptoms of a problem that's on the inside. But the Holy Spirit, who in a sense is the divine physician, he zeroes in on the root cause of things. And he's saying the problem of man is they have rejected the Son of God. They have rejected him who alone is the door and no man can come to the Father but by him for he's the way. So the Holy Spirit comes to convince a man of sin because he believes not on the Lord Jesus. The reason men love sin is because the heart has never been changed nor opened to Jesus Christ. Now the word reprove or convince is a legal term. Did you notice that? It's the term that you might expect to hear from a prosecuting attorney. A man is accused of a crime. The prosecuting attorney comes up before the court and the jury and the judge and his business is to convince the jury that this man is guilty as charged. That's what he does. And the Holy Spirit does the same thing. You see, I wonder sometimes if people just ignore the symptoms. For example, our failure of love for the brethren. John said, if a man says that he loves the Lord and hates his brother, he's a liar. He's a liar. And yet again, many of us say, oh, that's just a weakness of mine. No, the Bible said it's sin. And it's a symptom of a greater sin that Jesus Christ has never taken the full control of a man's heart and life. So the Holy Spirit brings all these things, all this evidence. Could we call it circumstantial evidence? He points it out here. What about your love for the Bible? You ever pick it up? What does that mean? You say you're not a sinner, but you don't have time for God. You you seldom, if ever, if you go to church, it's spasmodically. Uh, you, You invest nothing in the cause of Christ. You never speak of him to anybody else. Your prayer bones are never used. Then the Holy Spirit saying, hey, look at all these things. You say you're not a sinner. The prosecuting, attender, uh, prosecuting attorney says, what do you think about this? I'll guarantee you if most of us stood before a jury being convicted, of being accused, being a Christian, wouldn't be enough evidence to convict us. And so the Holy Spirit comes to convince a man that he is a sinner by reason of the fact that Jesus Christ is not the Savior and the Lord of his heart and of his life. So the Holy Spirit comes to convict of righteous, of sin because men believe not on him. John 3 and verse 18 says, the man that believes not is condemned already. Didn't say the man that got drunk, though drunkenness is wrong. The man that commits adultery, though adultery is wrong. It's sinful. But yet again, he said, of this one sin, a man that believes not is condemned already. If he has not received Jesus Christ, and there's evidence that Christ is in your life. He is saying, uh, 
already uh, you're condemned. That's the damning sin. And then he said, he will convict the world of righteousness. You know, there's a great deal said in the Bible about righteousness. That just simply means doing right, right living, being righteous. Do you realize that one whole book in the New Testament was written on that theme? You know what book that is? Book of Romans. Three things Paul said in his discourse, his theme on righteousness in the book of Romans. First of all, he said, God is righteous. Second thing he dealt with is, God demands righteousness. The third thing he deals with in the book of Romans is, God provides righteousness. So God is righteous. God demands righteousness, holiness, purity, perfection. He demands it. But not only does he demand it, but thank God he provides it. If that third thing were not there, we'd be in, a, we'd be in trouble, folks. But God has provided righteousness for us. That righteousness is in the person of Jesus Christ. He has made unto us, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says, He has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, and sanctification. He is all of this to us. Jesus Christ, who God is righteous. He demands righteousness if we're to be accepted of him. And yet God has provided that righteousness in the person of his precious son. And in the sight of God, if you have come by faith into Jesus Christ, you appear in the sight of God as righteous as his son, Jesus Christ. That's how acceptable you are. In him, God finds no fault in God finds no unrighteousness in us because we rest in faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then he said that he will convince the world of judgment. The word of God points out that all unsaved people belong to the devil. That's, that's bad news, isn't it? Well, the scripture said in John 8 and verse 44, Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil. The lust of your father, you'll, you'll do. Well, the Bible's plain, isn't it, folks? You ever notice that? Don't pull any punches. I mean, he's not trying to climb anybody's totem pole of popularity. The Bible said you're of your father, the devil. Now then, the devil, Jesus said, the prince of this world, that judgment has already been announced. Paul said it in Romans 16 and verse 20, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet. The devil's sentence has already, been, has already been read, already been settled, and soon that sentence is going to be carried out. The prince of this world is already judged. Already judgment has come. And that leads us to say this. All who follow in the train and ride in the boat with Satan are under the same condemnation. Judgment. So then, a man outside of Christ the Holy Spirit is convincing him that he's riding on a sinking ship. Would you want to get on an airline to fly to California or Colorado or Washington or somewhere? Would you want to get on one and they told you from the very start, hey, this plane's going to go down. It's not going to make it. Now, I don't know about you. I look pretty funny, but I'm not that funny. I wouldn't get on the thing. Even some of they say, all right, I don't want to get on and yet there's many a man, he crawled wrong, follows wrong after sin, Satan and the world. And God said, hey, you're in a sinking ship. This thing's going down. The prince of this world, the head knocker is already judged and already sentenced. And if you fall after him, same thing going to happen to you. 
In Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, you hear Jesus declaring, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So the devil's sentence already been read. So you find then the purpose of the Holy Spirit in this regard. Not only convict, but to, uh, to, uh, to guide, he tells us. Uh, to glorify the Lord Jesus. Now then, let me just mention, I, I've got about five minutes more. If you look at the clock, I'll add five more minutes to it. But if you don't look, I'll try to be nice. But Paul in this passage of Ephesians 4 says, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. You need to remember too the position of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that if you're saved, he lives inside of you. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're to glorify God in your body. You don't belong to yourself, to anybody else. You belong to him. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. The Holy Spirit, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Just as God came into the tabernacle days and the wilderness and the tabernacle, he came into the innermost part of that tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. Likewise, man is a tabernacle, a temple. We're the temple of God. We are also composed of three compartments, body, soul, and spirit. The tabernacle is composed of the outer court, holy place, holy of holies. And it was in that innermost part that the holy God came down once a year and fellowship with the high priest. Now, if you're the temple of God and I'm the temple of God, the God of heaven comes to dwell in the person of his spirit in the innermost sanctum of your being in your spirit that once was dead in trespass and sin, but having believed on the Lord Jesus, spiritually you're made alive, and the Holy Spirit is one who inhabits the inner being, the heart, if you please, the spirit of a man. Now, in that the Holy Spirit is within us, it is possible to give him pain, to, to grieve him, to grieve him, to cause him sadness, to bring him sorrow. May I remind you of this, folks? The Holy Spirit doesn't live down here at this church house. Do you realize that? He don't live down here. In fact, when you walk out of this door, he'll be gone too as far as that goes. The Holy Spirit says, you're my temple. You're my, oh yes, I know God's everywhere. But in a very particular sense, the Holy Spirit lives in you. This building is not the church to start with. You're the church. When you're gone, nothing here but a shell, just a building just a brick and mortar and stone and so forth. So the Holy Spirit lives within us. But Paul said, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. He has come to do what? Convict the world of sin. We want to see our loved ones saved. And yet, the only way the Holy Spirit has of working on their hearts is to work in and through you. Oftentimes we pray, oh God, send your spirit down the road and deal with old so-and-so and, -so and uh, get him saved, Holy Spirit. And I can almost hear the Holy Spirit saying, go yourself. I'm inside of you. Take me down there. Take me down there. And yet the Holy Spirit is often grieved because of our rebellion to the explicit, plain command of God for us in his word. Now, Paul says here, Ephesians 430, I've got to close, 430. Don't grieve. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit of God. How do you do that? Look back at verse 22 down through verse 24. You'll grieve him when you fail to be obedient 
by putting off concerning the former manner of life, the old man, which is corrupt according to the seedful lust. You agree with the Holy Spirit when you act now like you did before you were supposed to have gotten saved. You grieve the Spirit of God. And so he said, in a positive way, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You need a renewal. You need a change. Put on the new man, which after God's created righteousness, true holiness. Now look at verse 25. Another thing grieves the Holy Spirit. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth of his neighbor, for we're members one of another. Lying, deceit. That grieves the Holy Ghost. You ever guilty of telling something that's not true? You're guilty of telling something that's not true on somebody else. You stop and hinder the working of the Holy Ghost of God in that he has come to convince men of their need of Christ. He has come to guide us into all truth. He has come to glorify the Lord Jesus. And when we're grieving him, he is hindered in doing his work in and through us. So he said, stop lying. Be honest. Quit wearing a mask. Quit living the hypocritical life. And then he says, not of that, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Now he's called for a strange thing when he said, be angry and sin not. Which simply is to say, there is an anger that a man can have and not sin. And there is an anger that if a man does not have, he is guilty of sin. And be angry and sin not. But he said then, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. He said, don't, uh, don't, don't harbor that anger, and that wrathful feeling within your emotion. Uh, deal with it on a minute-by-minute basis. A lot of us, we blow our stack, and then six months later, we want to get things right. God said, do it now. Keep short accounts of your sin with God. Neither give place to the devil. Uh, verse 27, that is, when you grow careless in your life, you give the devil a foothold in your, in, in your life. Fellow was a, tr- a salesman. He sa- I talked to him one day. I said, how did you get in some of these houses? Well, he said, I go to the door and I knock on the door. Lady comes to the door and I tell her what my business is. She says, I'm not interested. Go away, I'm too busy. I said, what do you do on a ca- in a case like that? Well, he said, I pull out of my pocket a neatly wrapped little gift. And I say to her, well, if you don't mind, though you don't want to buy anything I've got, I'd like to give you this gift. And he said, of course, they have to unlatch the screen door, open the door, and I put the gift in there to them. And when they open the screen door, I put my foot in the door. And he said, they can't get the door closed. Now I've got a chance then to talk a little farther. That's where the devil does. He offers you some little glittering thing out of a Cracker Jack box in life, and people so gullible, they'll reach out and say, okay, I'll take what he's got. And boy, when you do, the devil stuck his foot in the door. This one little thing on television not going to hurt me. This one little rock record not going to hurt me. This one little wild party. This one little escapade. Yeah, you open the door, and I'll guarantee you, and give the devil an inch, he'll take a foot. And many people are, are, are so arrogant that they think, hey, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. Many a man and woman has gone to sojourn, as the psalmist said in Meshach, but you go to sojourn and most folks don't just visit, they stay there. They stay there. Well, I know you said, I'm just going to quit tithing for a month. I've got a lot of bills I'm going to take care of. Yeah, you go do it one month and you've done, made a sojourn before you know it, you're going to hang out down there. 
miss out of God's house one service at one little time, two little time, not going to hurt. For you know what, the sojourn will turn into a, uh, to a, permanent, uh, to a permanent thing in your life. I'm just trying to tell you the truth, and I think you understand it. So don't let the devil say, uh, Paul said, you grieve the Holy Spirit when you give the devil a foothold in your life. That little one little peep at Playboy magazine, not going to hurt anybody. You open it up, and the devil get his foot in the door. That one little word, that one little act, that one little deed in life, and the devil has his opportunity. Do you realize there'd never be any such thing as a drunkard or an alcoholic if a man hadn't taken the first drink? You don't get to be a drunk without taking the first drink. You don't get to become a habitual gambler without gambling the first time. So the devil wants to get his foot in the door. You see what I'm saying? So then he's saying, don't be careless. Let, neither give place to the devil. Got to close. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor where he had things that is good, which he may have to give to him that neither. In other words, callousness as to the need of others grieves the Holy Spirit. And I fear that often we're grieved because all we're thinking about is us. We're self-centered. We're feeding on ourselves. And we're not thinking about the needs of others. And I don't mean just physical needs. I'm talking about spiritual needs. We grieve the Holy Ghost of God. Is there any wonder then with His Spirit being grieved that we see so little of a manifestation of the power of God in these days? Is there any wonder that we see so few who are coming to Jesus Christ when the very one who is there to convict and to convert the sinner is so grieved and so hampered that men and women cannot sense his moving in our midst? Stop grieving the Holy Spirit whereby you're sealed under the day of redemption. I'm glad of this. I'm glad the verse didn't say stop grieving away the Holy Spirit. That don't happen. If you're saved and the Holy Spirit lives in you, you may grieve him, but you don't grieve him away. He belongs in your heart, for you belong to him. But oh, how often we grieve the precious Spirit of God. We cut off his blessing from our lives individually, from our homes, from our work, from our church. God help us to get down to the core of the real problem we grieve the Holy Ghost. He has come to magnify and glorify and lift up the Lord Jesus. He has come to guide us into all truth. But with his grief, he's unable to guide you like he wants to guide you. And you wind up in trouble. May God give us sensitivity to the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, I bow here with an honest, humble confession that very often in my thinking, very often in my attitudes, very often in my responses to events in life, we grieve you. And Father, we can't do your business here without you. We can't really accomplish in this church, in our home, in our community what needs to be accomplished without the Holy Spirit's freedom and liberty to work through us. Help us, O oh God, that that well that you dug in our heart that so often is so covered up and debris is thrown in. You told the Ephesians to 
stop being bitter one toward the other. He told them to start forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. And surely, Lord, if you could forgive us for such wrong and hurt and harm to thee, we can forgive those who may have injured us or may have caused us discomfort or may have brought sorrow to us. May we be truly the Christian that you would have us be, and may we truly be the church that you want us to be. I pray for those who may be here today that have never been saved. May they come to Jesus and realize that the most damning, condemning sin in the world is the rejection of Christ. And may they not walk out of these doors without having said yes to him. And Father, I pray for that Christian. Long he struggled. Long they have wanted and desired to have the blessing of God in their life. May we, Lord, stop grieving you. And if we don't understand where we've grieved you, oh Lord, we're willing for you to show us. We're willing for you to unveil to our hearts. And you may do that through circumstances. You may do that through events, revealing ourselves to us. So we just ask you to take charge and have control. May your Lord will be done today. If there are those who need to come into our fellowship by promise of letter for membership from another church, may they do it. May we all be willing and obedient to you. In Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet, please. And let's sing together. Carl, what's the number? Number 262, an old familiar tune, but a song with a great message. Search me, O God, and know my heart. You got enough courage to ask God to do that. I said, have you got enough courage to ask God to search you <laughs> and to know your heart? Man alive, that's a big order. I said, Lord, I'd like for you to search me. I'm afraid you'll find some things that will embarrass me. Lord, I want you to know my heart, but I some things about me I just don't want to know. Oh, that we'd let him search us. While we sing that on this stands, if God's spoken to your heart, you need to make your way to this altar and ask God to forgive of your grieving his precious spirit. But you need to come to the fellowship of our church. You need to come and be saved. You come while we sing on the first stand. Lift it out. You come right now.